Well, hello, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bible Breakdown. I'm looking forward to talking through kind of our lesson here. We're going to go through it a little differently than normal. Um, so we, the passage that we're on today is Acts 11. Um, and this, in this story, Peter goes to the church in Jerusalem and he basically tells them everything that happened to him in the previous chapter. So you may remember that he um, has this vision, this man Cornelius, who is a God-fearing uh, Gentile, uh, has this vision. Um, and Cornelius is going to send some guys to find Peter because he knows that Peter has this message for him. Peter is simultaneously getting a vision as these guys come to get him where God is showing him this sheet descending from heaven with all these kinds of food, some of which would be considered unclean by the Jewish faith. Uh, And the voice of God says, take Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is resistant because he's never eaten these foods. Um, Anyways, he listens to what God says. Finally, these guys come up. God tells him, don't worry, you should go with these people. I've sent them. And eventually Peter's going to realize this vision was more than just about food. He's going to realize that God is also telling him that he cannot consider any person unclean. And therefore, he should not keep any person from knowing the gospel. Peter starts to share about um, Jesus with this group, with Cornelius and his people, some of his family. And um, after he finishes talking, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they believe in Jesus. And this is the first time that I think there's a big realization in everybody's mind, at least in Peter's and those with him, that God had intended the message of the gospel for the Gentiles as well. So that's kind of basically the story there. And half of Acts 11 is just a pure recount of that story. So I don't want to go too deep into that. If you are interested in more of a an angle on that story. You can listen to last week's episode. But really what I want to do is kind of go through um, biblical history through the whole Bible, daunting, um, but just hit some points where we can see God's heart for all nations. So based on the way that the Jewish church is going to react, the church in Jerusalem is going to react to what Peter says, they're a little bit unsure that that's what's supposed to happen. When he tells the story, they kind of get on board when they realize that the Holy Spirit's been given to the Gentiles and they glorify God that even the message of the gospel is even for the Gentiles. So that's even for people who are not Jewish. So um, they're a, a little surprised. They're happy. Um, and they're going to go through a lot more growing pains through the rest of Acts, but they're at least excited. They seem a bit surprised. And so what I want to talk about a little bit is a why maybe they shouldn't have been quite as surprised as they were, but B, how this really shows that God's heart has always been for the nations and that it's not just in the New Testament that God cares about people who are not um, physical descendants of Abraham. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be jumping around uh, just a little bit. So um, this is Uh, just such a big issue in the New Testament. I talked about this a little bit last week. This is such a big issue, um, the merging of Jews and Gentiles. So Jews are like, do they have to become Jews before they can become Christians? Um, There's going to be a lot of argument on whether or not they should, even after that argument's kind of settled, that they don't have to become Jewish first. There's still going to be certain parties within the church that are Jewish that are going to still kind of insist on um, certain dietary laws or even circumcision in some, some parties. But what we're what I want to talk about a little bit 
uh, as I mentioned, is just kind of a, a whole scripture's worth of idea of who does God say that the world is? What does he think of Gentiles? Has he always loved people that weren't descendants of Abraham? Or is this just kind of a new thing? So we're going to kind of go in and I want to start pretty close to the beginning. So we're going to actually, I'm going to read from Genesis 3, 14 through 15. 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is right after Adam and Eve's sin. um, And this is kind of the where God's going to lay down a little bit of the the curse that's going to come from sin. And this specifically is often referred to as the Proto-Evangelium. It's um, a word in Latin, meaning first gospel. And basically, it's kind of this first indication that God has a plan for redemption. So this, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Um, I believe this refers specifically to Christ, um, Christ being that offspring. Um, Some believe it may refer to the church, which would have Christ as its head. Um, But the idea that yeah, Satan seems to win a victory when Jesus is uh, brutally murdered on a cross, but ultimately Satan is defeated by Christ because he raised from the dead and um, provides provided a, a substitute for us um, and allowed us to be reconciled to God. So I want to start there knowing that this work of Christ was not a, a surprise to the Godhead in the beginning, that even in the midst of, even right in the aftermath of sin, there's already a plan of redemption in place. And I think when we look at the language used here, um, I think we can see that this doesn't seem to be a very specific kind of victory, that this seems like a, a total victory, and that we know that Jesus is the one who ultimately wins that victory. Um, and this is before... Abraham, this is before you would consider a a nation of Israel. So I think we see from the beginning that this redemption plan has uh, breadth to it, that it's not just a a narrow band. So that's, I think, a great place to start for us to remember. And I considered briefly kind of going through a little bit of just the story of redemption overall and kind of going through different eras of scripture and seeing God's redemptive plan. I would like to do that at some point, though I think today it might be a little more helpful to kind of talk specifically about God's heart for the nations. Um, But it's also just a great moment to just give glory to God, think that in the moments after uh, sin that he's already planning redemption, and we see that redemption fully realized Um, in the person and work of Jesus. But as we consider God's ongoing love for all the nations and not just um, specifically those who are descendants of Abraham, it does behoove us to consider why the nation of Israel was set apart in the first place. What was so special about them in the first place? And the reality is they were set apart by God from a very early time. And specifically, we see that in the person Abraham. So in Genesis 12 is when we're first introduced to Abram, as his name was then. God's going to change his name to Abraham later. Um, But in verse 1 of chapter 12 in Genesis, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go away from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is one of the, Abraham is such a key figure in the scripture. One, as you can see in the, especially verse two, um, God is promising Abraham, he's making a covenant with him. So we call this little um, group, it's part of the Abrahamic covenant. So the covenant that God makes with Abraham, part of it is that he's going to grow him into a great nation, which we know will grow into the nation of Israel. And so he's a key figure because he's the kind of the founder, the ultimate patriarch of the nation of Israel. But we also have to notice, and this is something that is really important as we think about, again, redemptive history, that A, um, it, the ending of this portion of the Abrahamic covenant is that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's something that um, we realize ultimately is, again, met in Christ, that being of Abraham's lineage, that Jesus is ultimately that final blessing for all the families of the earth. But uh, as we are also going to see in Abraham's life, in Abram's life, there's also a verse, and, and Paul's going to quote it, that, and Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So not only do we see um, that Abraham is meant to be a blessing to all nations, but we also see that from the very beginning, um, faith is what God is calling Abraham to. Even in the nation of Israel, where sometimes they found their identity in being able to find the law. We we've talked about that with um, Saul before he uh, had his experience with the Lord on the Damascus road, that he put his identity in his lineage and his ability to follow the law. But ultimately we see that not only is are the nations to be blessed through Abraham, but also that the beginning point of that with God is faith. And so ultimately it starts with faith in Abraham. It ends in faith in Jesus. And faith is always the currency of God's kingdom. There's never a, a time where we earn our salvation. Faith is always the number one currency, and it's only available because of the grace he gives. So from the very beginning, as God is creating the nation of Israel, we can't forget that he ha already has an eye for all the nations. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So uh, that's pretty all-encompassing and shows, again, God's heart for the nations in this really important uh, portion of scripture. So uh, next, I want to move into, so now as the nation of Israel is founded, so Abraham gets Isaac, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. That um, is kind of where maybe you'd say officially the nation of Israel specifically called that is beginning, and it's going to be from his children that the, the tribes are named and everything. So um, as we think about the nation of Israel, we can't help but see throughout their history, which you know, really begins in Exodus and goes on through the rest of Scripture, especially throughout the Old Testament, where it's where Israel is at the forefront. Um, there are just so many road road markers, so many um, places on the map that show us God's heart for the nation. So I'm just going to name a few here that I have been um, just kind of thinking through and um, researching. So starting at the very beginning, so you may remember that. Um, at the end of Genesis, the nation of Israel moves to Egypt because of a famine. And Joseph is the one who kind of brokers that. But then there comes a time when the Pharaoh doesn't even know who Joseph was. He's like, Joseph who? I've never met Joseph. He's been dead a long time. And the Egyptians will ultimately uh, enslave the nation of Israel for about 400 years. So the uh, Hebrews or the Israelites are going to 
spend about 400 years in Egypt as slaves. And then um, God's going to raise up Moses to bring them out of Egypt and into the land that um, God promised Abraham, which was not in that portion we read, but in another portion, he's of the Abrahamic covenant. He's going to promise that the land of Canaan is going to be for his descendants. So, um, but during the process of the Exodus, um, I'm sure if you've ever been to, if you were ever in a Sunday school or other sort of, you know, Sunday morning group in a a kid's ministry, I'm sure you learned about the 10 plagues at some point, um, a very kind of um, noteworthy and recognizable part of scripture, um, even from those who don't know much about scripture. Um, So there's all these, um, these plagues that happen. And one of the reasons that God says um, for all of these plagues is I want the Egyptians to know that I am God. So there's some connections between these plagues and the gods of uh, Egypt. And um, it's kind of a way of God showing that he is greater than their gods by overwhelming. Uh, The Nile turns to blood. The Nile was um, kind of a, an object of worship for the Egyptians. It was a lot of their agricultural lifeblood. So they had strong feelings. So for the God of the Israelites turned to blood shows how powerful he is. Um, They worship the sun for there to be darkness over the whole land shows how powerful God is. So even in the midst of these plagues, which are, you know, difficult, challenging for the people, uh, one reason that God gives to Moses that these plagues are going to continue, that he's going to continue to allow Pharaoh's heart to be hardened toward the Israelites is so that the people of Egypt can see who he is so that they can know him. So even if it is through a plague, um, it's better that they know who God is than everything go on just as normal and then never find out who God is. And then even just seeing the, the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, um, the Egyptians, by the time the Israelites leave, are um, very much recognizing who God is, who that these are a special people to him, to the point where they're even giving their possessions to the Israelites as they leave. So um, we see there that even though to an extent, Pharaoh brought judgment on his people that they were able to see who God was to see that um, his people were distinct and that he was mighty through the Exodus. So even through that time of slavery, we see that God is still showing his heart for the people of Egypt just to make himself known to them. So as the people move from Egypt and into their own society, um, God is going to give the law to uh, Moses and it's going to be something we call the Mosaic Covenant, and Mosaic Law is a part of that. Um, And really a big portion of the Mosaic Covenant was not to, again, and there there were times in Israel's history where they got a little bit confused one way or the other. They either said, we don't have to do any of these things, and that brought judgment, or... Um, As we see sometimes in the scripture, we have to be so careful that we don't break this law. We better invent these new laws and hold people to all those. Um, So, but it's not ultimately about following rules. The Mosaic covenant and the Mosaic law ultimately reveal to us a few things. One is that shows us the character of God. So we see um, God's holiness, how he is different, how he is set apart, how he's not like any created being um, in the ways that he lays out for his people Um, different things that they uh, make them unclean before him, um, different morals, um, different dietary things that may have been for their protection, may have just been so they would be set apart. Um, But ultimately, Israel was meant to be a light to the nations by following God. So we know what happens in Israel's history, that they move into the land of Canaan 
after all they're wandering in the desert and they're going to ultimately be seduced by the gods of other nations but god's design for the nation of israel was for them to move into this area where other nations were and to be a light to them by the way that they worshiped god by the way that they um, were set apart as his people and by the way that god blessed them that that would be a, a sign to the nations a that um, these people are special and B, but more, maybe more importantly, that the God they serve is preeminent, that he is the one true God. But in Israel's disobedience, some of that um, was lost. Some of that uh, option for people to see that they were set apart was lost because they just weren't very obedient. Um, but we do see God's heart in the Mosaic law, in the Mosaic covenant, that he wanted the nations to know him. They wanted the nations to know that he was God. Um, a couple specific parts of the Mosaic law that refer to foreigners, Leviticus 19, Exodus 22, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10, are all going to say not to oppress the foreigner because they were once foreigners. So it's a recognition that foreigners will be a part of their society, um, but that they're not to oppress them, they're not to mistreat them because the Israelites were foreigners and they should have empathy on that situation. Um, there's even parts about not cutting to the very edge of your field so that the poor and so that the foreigner will have something to to glean. So we see these this heart for um, the foreigner, for other nations in the law. Um, moving on into the, the prophets, um, we see a, another example. Um, Zechariah calls out God's people for not having mercy on the foreigner. One of the things that Zechariah is going to condemn the nation of Israel for is that they are not obeying God by having mercy on the foreigner and they're mistreating him. And that's because God's heart is still for the foreigner. It always has been for the foreigner. He loves his people, Israel. He, they were his chosen people, his chosen instrument, but it wasn't to be something that was at the expense of any others because God has a heart for all the people. Um, another thing we see in the Old Testament is um, just some, what I'll call famous foreigners, some famous non-Israelites uh, that pop up and have some prominent roles. Um, one that we've talked about in a couple others is Rahab. So Rahab, we know, was a prostitute in Jericho who chose to help the spies from Israel. And she's ultimately um, brought into the community of Israel. Um, she ultimately will be a part of the gene genealogy of Christ. So she was clearly redeemed from not only the fact that she was not worshiping God, but she was also living life as a prostitute. And we see that God had a heart for her, that God had a heart to redeem her from that situation and to make himself known to her. And we see God's heart for Rahab in that. Another one is going to be Ruth. Um, so Ruth is going to be um, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who was from Israel. Um, her two sons both married non-Israelite uh, women. Uh, they both passed away. Um, Ruth is going to go back with Naomi to their people. Um, she's going to serve as a, a great example of loyal love, the loyal love that God has. Um, she's going to be um, any kind of an example of that in the way that she is loyal to, to Naomi. And then Boaz ultimately going to be her kinsman redeemer, um, who's going to be a type of Christ in the Old Testament. But even though she was a foreigner, she wasn't, um, she didn't have the rights that everybody else had, except for that God was gracious to her, gracious to allow her to um, come into contact with people from his nation. And so we see in Ruth also another that's going to be in the line of Jesus, another non 
Israelite that we're going to see in that line. And then um, another, I think something that we kind of maybe ignore a little bit, that's kind of right there in front of us, um, Book of Jonah. Um, I'd love to do a, an episode on the Book of Jonah because the Book of Jonah is really fascinating. I do not take Jonah to be a book that the message is don't disobey God because eventually he'll make you obey him. Um, there's there's an element of that in the book of Jonah, but there's just a lot of richness too. But one thing that I think we overlook is that Jonah's going to this group of people in Nineveh. Um, they're they're not Jewish. They're not part of the Israelite nation. He's sending Jonah to a land of foreigners to proclaim the repentance from their sins so that they can worship God and said, and you know what, Jonah, when he finally gets there, they break down in sackcloth and ashes and they repent immediately, even after just a short little message from Jonah about how they need to turn away or be destroyed. Um, that's a whole city, a great city, even that it says. Um, and Jonah goes there and we see that God has a heart for them there too. So we see some of these examples in the people too, in the people that um, gain prominence in the scripture um, and these, even these groups of people like the people of Nineveh who heard the message from Jonah, responded. God clearly had a heart for this large city. Um, and then ultimately for the nation of Israel, they're going to be exiled um, because of their dis disobedience to God. Um, but even then we see that God is using this opportunity as a way to be proclaimed among the nations. Um, the story of Daniel takes place in Babylon. Um, all these people are... Um, exposed to the God of Israel through Daniel's ministry or through the ministry of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, if you are familiar with Veggie Tales, um, Rack, Shack, and Benny, um, they are going to be the ones who are put in the furnace, um, but they don't burn up. An angel of the Lord protects them. Um, then Nebuchadnezzar is a pretty big figure in Babylon. He spends some time living as a beast in the field. Um, but again, he's, it's because of these, this exposure that he's had to God, that God is going to come and pronounce judgment and Nebuchadnezzar is not going to turn from it. Um, and you're going to see that with a few other Babylonian, um, and also, uh, Persian Kings and things like that. They're going to have these interactions with God. They're going to have these people who prophesy to them from God. Um, and it's a way for God to make himself known amongst the nations, even in the midst of his people's disobedience. And we see that there are people who are obeying by um, going before these people, but also um, that even the ones who were disobedient that led to the um, exile from the land that he was even using those. So those are just some examples from the nation of Israel quickly um, about, maybe not all that quickly, but it was just a few examples um, of how God used the nation of Israel to reach out to people from other nations. And then we move into the ministry of Jesus. So I'm going to name just a couple of stories. One comes from Luke 7, um, starting in verse 1. I'll read it real quick. It says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of, the, of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. 
When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed, for I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in the house of Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So we see the centurion who is not Jewish, um, just expressing a great deal of faith and Jesus ministry um, being to him, even though Jesus will say in the midst of his ministry that he was sent to the lost house of Israel. So Jesus' ministry is primarily going to be to the people of Israel. And he'll say that explicitly um, in the Gospels. But even so, we see there are moments like this where Jesus' heart is clearly softened toward even the Gentiles. And another great example of that comes from Matthew 15. Um this title, it's titled The Faith of a Canaanite Woman. In verse 21, it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My father or my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, See, I, I told you he'd say it. I was only I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So we see even in the midst of Jesus explicitly saying, my mission is to the house of Israel. We see his compassion for this woman, this recognition of faith and faith that he finds um, unique, even in his ministry to his own people, to the people that he was sent to. He finds that there is unique faith there. Um, we also, many of us are maybe familiar with the story of the woman of the well. Um, she's a Samaritan woman, so maybe has some some roots in historical Israel, but the northern kingdom um, was far less, um, even than the uh, nation of Judah, was far less obedient to the Lord. And um, they're going to talk, and he's ultimately going to reveal himself to her as the Messiah, even though um, she is, for all intents and purposes, she is a foreigner. Um, but we see that Jesus has compassion on her, even though she was living uh, in sin and that she wasn't of the house of Israel. We see that Jesus still had a heart for her. And then um, just an, another example, just to consider um, the thief on the cross that Jesus says, oh, today I'll be with you in paradise. We don't know really um, his nationality. Um, he is being punished by Roman authorities. So is Jesus, but only because the Jews beg him, right? So um, it's not for sure that he's a Gentile, but um, it's possible. And Jesus right there says, you'll be with me in paradise. So um, we see that even though Jesus' ministry, um, he explicitly says to the house of Israel um, that we see he still has compassion on those who are not from Israel. And then finally, after Jesus' resurrection, his commands, the Great Commission, go therefore make disciples of all nations. Yeah, so his 
that last command that he gives before his ascension is going to be go and make disciples of all nations. And then in Acts 1, 8, um, we're going to see that he tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're like, well, yeah, of course. In Judea, well, yeah, of course. Samaria, ooh, okay. And then to the ends of the earth. So I, so all of these things, when we put them all together, and I know that was a lot, it was a lot of different things, but the importance here is that um, when Peter came and told this story to the church in Jerusalem, they should not have been terribly surprised because God's heart has always been for all the nations. It's not something that he came up with one day when he was bored um, shortly after Jesus was resurrected. God's plan of redemption and God's heart, his love, his grace um, have always been toward people of all nations. And ultimately, when we look at the scripture, we see a lot of Israel and we kind of talked about their role in that. But we also need to remind ourselves that God works in ways that we are totally unaware of. And throughout human history, we have in scripture a lot of information about how he interacted with the nation of Israel. We don't have a ton of information about how he interacted with people of other nations. But I think it would be short-sighted of us to say that he never cared about the other nations um, until post-resurrection, Jesus was raised from the dead. I think that would be short-sighted of us. It, it would be um, ultimately, I think, unfair to what we see, the themes um, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament of what God's heart is for all people. So um, we don't want to assume that God's been doing everything that we think he does when it's not room, but we don't want to assume he's not doing everything that we could think of as well. But what is very clear is that God does have a heart for all the nations. And like I've, like I've said, most of us do not have Jewish heritage. Most of us listening to this don't have Jewish heritage. So we are uh, beneficiaries of this love, this grace that God has poured out on all the nations. So um, as we read scripture and as we continue to go into these, uh, these issues that are coming up in the early church, and um, we have to remember, A, they've, they've been really focused on their own nation for a long time. So there's some, uh, there's some maybe just patterns of thought that need to be changed. Um, but for us, it should be just a moment where we have the opportunity to glorify God that not only did he make a way for some to be reconciled to him, but that he made a way for all to be reconciled to him. And not just for a moment, but for eternity, where we will all be gathered together from all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations, worshiping God forever.